This is the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for that week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. This fall, we are studying the Gospel of Mark. I'm Amber Vaden, your host, and today I'm joined by Gia Thornburg and Dwayne McCreary. Gia is an editor on our Explore the Bible team and the newest member of our team, so she is just invaluable. Dwayne is familiar to you most likely. He served as team leader for Explore the Bible for 13 years until last summer when he took a new position as manager over all of LifeWay's adult ongoing curriculum. So Dwayne and Gia, thank you for being here. Well, thank you for letting us be here today. Thanks, Amber. Glad to have you both. Today we're looking at session one and we will be discussing Mark chapter one, verses one through 13. So we'll just jump in. I'll begin with an outline of this passage, and then we will dive into some questions that you as group leaders may face, uh, either as you prepare or in your group time, one of your group members may, may raise the question. If you have a quick source resource, the outline is printed in there, but in Mark chapter one, verses one through three, Mark introduced his account by explaining that his testimony was about the gospel of Jesus, whom he recognized to be the son of God. Mark pointed to Old Testament prophecies that a messenger would prepare the way for the Messiah. In verses four through eight, Mark explained that John the Baptist called for a baptism of repentance, attracting people from around Jerusalem and encouraging them to confess their sins. John declared that he would be followed by a greater person, and he was referring to Jesus, who would baptize with the Holy Spirit. In verses nine through 13, Mark explained that Jesus was baptized by John. As Jesus came out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended on him and God the Father proclaimed him to be his well-pleasing son. So all three members of the Godhead were present and that is just a significant um, passage to recall. Jesus was then driven by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan. Our overall statement I'm sorry, our overall summary statement for this session is Jesus is the eternal son of God. So it's a great study um, and we will just begin with some questions. So Gia, we will, we have our first question is for you. Why do we have four gospels? Yeah, Amber, this is a really great question. Um, Whenever we study the Bible, it's important to remember um, the context of the books that we're studying, no matter what that book is. Um, And So for that, it's important to remember that each book of the Bible is written by a real person inspired by God, who um, they were writing to a real group of people or person um, for a particular purpose. And so when we look at the four gospels that we have, they all share a central theme, which is the life and ministry of Jesus, but they all tell that story of Jesus from a different perspective. And this is because they all have four different writers, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, They all had different relationships to Jesus, different ways that they encountered him, and they're all writing to different audiences for different purposes. And so when we look at all four of these gospel books together, we get a really good, well-rounded perspective of who Jesus is and his ministry on earth. Um, And I personally think it's really cool that we have four gospels instead of one, you know, because whenever you're trying to prove something is true, um, you usually want to cite more than one source. 
And um, what's really awesome is that, again, we do have four written by four different people. And usually when you have four different accounts of something, you're going to hear different stories. But with the case of the Gospels, the stories don't contradict each other. They marry together very beautifully and give us a bigger, wider, fuller picture of who Jesus is um, and the ministry that he had on earth. That's a helpful explanation. Thank you. Okay, well, Dwayne, we have a question for you. What does it mean to, quote, make his path straight? Um, we read that in Mark uh, 1, verse 3. Is that something that we can do today? Well, let's deal with that first part of the question, make his path straight. That that's a It's tied to the Bible skill. Mm-hmm. In the Bible skill for this week, you see three passages, Exodus 23, 20, Isaiah 43, and Malachi 3, 1. And why those are important is this idea of make his path straight or all included in here. Uh, so there's debate on which prophet Mark is actually uh, referencing. He could be referencing all three uh, in, in in this section. Uh, but the Bible skill asks us to look at that, consider the context for each and help us under, help the group understand more fully how this prophecy points to Jesus. Uh, when you think about making a path straight, you know, you think about in those days, highways are not like highways today. Uh, they didn't have cars. They didn't travel that way. They traveled foot by animals, those kind of things. Um, uh, a highway is a different thing for them. Highways then were built for kings to enter the city. If a king was going to visit a city, There would be this advanced planning that would take place and they would do all kinds of things to raise and lower, um, you know, smooth it out. So when the king arrived, they had a good first impression of their city. Uh, In fact, that Isaiah passage, Isaiah 43, 3, right after that, Isaiah 43, 4, uh, if you looked at Isaiah 43, 4, you see the idea of the uh, of things being uh, valleys being raised, mountains being lowered streets being smooth, all those kind of things. It's in preparation for the arrival of the king. Um, you see that idea in other places as well. So that's important for us to think about. It's preparation for the king's coming. You think about that for us. How do we do that in our lives? Well, there's two ways. Number one, we're going to need to repent. We have to turn from our sin and begin to follow Christ. The second thing is we do what John did, and he that's we tell others about their need to repent. And by those two things, we prepare a way for the king to arrive. We earn the right to tell them or ask them to do something by us repenting as well. We can't really tell somebody to do something we're not doing. But it does remind me too, I I was reading this this week, Exodus 19. The Israelites are at Mount Sinai and God's delivered him. He makes this statement in verses uh, three through following. He says, Moses went up to the mountain of God and the Lord called to him from the mountain. This is what you must say to the house of Jacob and explain to the Israelites. You have seen what I have done or you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to me. So they've arrived at Mount Sinai. Then the very next passage, now, if you will listen to me and carefully keep my covenant, you will be my own possession and all the peoples, out of all the peoples, although all the earth is mine. So here they are. They've been brought out. They've been delivered. 
But just because they've been delivered doesn't mean there's not any expectations. There's expectations now for them to live up to being God's chosen people. And for us as believers, we accept Christ. It's a free gift. But we still have, on the other side of that, the opportunity to live up to being a follower of Jesus. And so when I think about make his path straight, I think about, number one, preparing for others to see Jesus, but also us preparing to meet Jesus by living a life that meets up to the standards. That's not to put any extra pressure on us as believers. It's to, it, it, we do that out of love for what he's done. You see that here in Exodus. They were to follow God because of what he had done. Um, not so they earned it because he'd already delivered them. They're at Mount Sinai already at this point. So th th that's important for us to remember as believers is that part of that preparing the path or making the path straight is us repenting and living a life that, ref that uh, reflects Christ in all that we do and think and having the heart of Christ in that matter. That's a good way to understand um, that specific phrase and boy it sure makes it even more appropriate as you see it at the very beginning of the gospel of mark because that's what he does uh through the whole thing um okay gia uh, as the perfect son of god jesus never sinned why would he need to be baptized yeah so i mean Dwayne talked about um preparing the way and that was what john the baptist was doing and that's what we see here at the beginning of mark he was a forerunner to christ um, and in Mark 1, 4, it says that he did this by proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then if we jump down, verse 6, it says that Jesus came and one was baptized. Um, and I actually love the way that Matthew writes it in his gospel, too. Um, multiple gospel writers write about this. Um, Mark's gospel is focused on action. So his account's not very detailed. But in Matthew, he actually says that John the Baptist is taken aback. It says, but John tried to stop him saying, I need to be baptized by you, yet you come to me. Um, and I think that we can kind of all see ourselves in that situation. Like, whoa, like, dude, do you know who you are? Like, you don't need to be baptized. Exactly. Um, right. And so that goes to your original question, Amber, um, like, why? Why would Jesus need to be baptized? And the answer is he doesn't need to be baptized for repentance, because we do know that he is sinless, but he chose to be baptized as an act of obedience to the will of the Father. We see his life on earth is dedicated to following God's will. He mentions it multiple times throughout all the Gospels that he is following the Father's will. Um, and I think uh, one of the biggest points we we kind of think of when we think of Jesus following God's will um, along with his baptism is the Garden of Gethsemane when he's asking God to pass the cup of suffering from his hands. And he says, but not my will, but your will be done. Right. Um, but we can also see this, um, you know, Jesus's life as a model for us, you know, through his baptism, he's kind of identifying with us. We do need to repent. We do need that forgiveness. We know baptism doesn't save us. It's an outward showing of our um, being saved. Um, but it's kind of an identifying with us as well. Um, and it also links John's ministry as the forerunner to the work that Jesus will do as the Messiah. One thing I would point out too, is it also gives us a, it gives Jesus a, a way to say, uh, if we're, he's expecting us to be baptized, well, he can't really expect us. Like I said earlier, if he hadn't done it himself, mm -hmm. uh, one of my books that I read this summer uh, yeah. was by, is by Tom Clavin. And it's about the life of 
a Texas Ranger, not a baseball player, but a law officer named McNelly. Uh, this this year is the 200th anniversary of the creation of the Texas Rangers. So I've been reading some stuff about different Rangers. And there's a question that's that's asked of, the, of this Ranger, of McNelly, about why he entered into Mexico or what, actually why he sent so uh, officers into Mexico uh, to in pursuit of cattle thieves. And he's being asked this by an official and McNeely replied, I didn't, I went and took men with me. <laughs> so he, he's basically saying, I didn't send anybody. I got on my horse and went and they followed me. Um, that's on page 302 in the book. So you can tell I read the whole book. Um, but I found that the reason, one reason Jesus did it, it was not just obedience, because that is one part of it, but also he gave us an example to follow. And he has the right to ask us to do that because he did it. We're just doing what he's already done. Yeah. So it's kind of important to think about that. That's a really good point, Dwayne. Dwayne, why is it significant that God the Father and the Holy Spirit were present for Jesus's baptism? Well, we, this is one of those passages where you see the Son the Father and the Spirit. I said that in a strange order, I know, but first we see the Son, then we see the Father, then we see the Spirit in this particular passage. Uh, you know, Scripture tells us that we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, yet they're one. Uh, John 10, 30, uh, Jesus made the statement that I and the Father are one, and the, the Jews who were standing there obviously understood he was claiming to be the Father, be God at that point, or they wouldn't have picked up stones to stone him. Um, one of the more interesting passages to me on the idea of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, is the Great Commission, because we're told that we're to baptize them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, we've got the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yet the name is singular. So we're to baptize them in this single name, one, yet we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, which are three. So even in the Great Commission, you see the Trinity and you see this, this challenge for us intellectually. How can something be three things and one thing at the same time? Um, I, I don't know that we can explain it. We just know that that's what Scripture teaches. And so you see that here uh, as their all present at this baptism. Um, it does remind us of God's presence uh, in this place we call earth. Um, you think about the Israelites being led through the wilderness after the exodus by a cloud during the daytime and uh, fire at night, become a pillar of fire, a column of fire, and how that was a symbol of God's presence. Jesus obviously is a indicator of God being present with us but for us as believers the Holy Spirit is as well once we accept Christ and the Holy Spirit then indwells us so here what we see is this this really a public declaration of I am here God Father Son Holy Spirit I am here um, and it's being declared by all three of them so the one is there and the three are all present at the same time completely in you in unison with each other no division and so it, it really is a, a significant event in history for all of them three to be manifested that way at the same time yet still be one i, I think about it in this context too i think about the revelation 320 passage where jesus says that you know uh, open the door i will come in and dine with him and he with me 
I've seen illustrations where it's a where it's a table with just one chair. And that's true in part. It is one chair. It's Jesus. But on the other side, there's really four chairs. There's the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And there's a fourth chair for us to join in with that single entity we call God. And somehow we understand when we're there. I don't know how it happens, but somehow we understand when we're there that they're three and one at the same time. And it won't really, you know, I, I, I know folks who say, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask how that can be. I don't know that it'll matter when we get there. We'll suddenly, it, it'll make sense to us. <laughs> but we see that here um, with God really announcing his presence here on earth and, and being with the sun being that gateway for us to fully understand God's presence that we haven't had before. Thank you both. Thank you both. Those are helpful questions. Um, so each week we also bring uh, bring some attention to either a pack item that might be helpful or we pull up the Bible skill or key doctrine to discuss those things. And this week I want to um, shed some attention on something that is brand new beginning this fall. So in your leader guide, uh, you'll see a QR code in session one, uh, and you'll have the opportunity to scan that with your phone, and it's going to go to a brief audio, like three-minute audio, um, where we talk about this phrase, Son of God, which in Mark's gospel, we see chapter one, verse one, uh, he begins with that. And so each this quarter, beginning this quarter, we've added some bonus content designed to enhance or aid the group leader's preparation to teach. So as you read through your leader guide, you'll see a QR code with bonus or extra content. These will offer a deeper look into a key topic, a key location, a key verse, or something along that line. If you don't have time, uh, if you're short on time, you certainly can skip that. Um, it will not you'll still be fully equipped to lead your group using just the teaching plan. Uh, so this is bonus. It's just extra. Thank you for listening today. If you have comments or questions, you are welcome to send me an email at amber.vaden at lifeway.com. I will do my best to answer your question, or if I don't know the answer, I'll find the right person who can. Gia and Dwayne, thank you for being here. Well, thank you for, I'm looking forward to teaching this, this, uh, this book, this is an important book to me. Um, when I was in high school, God used the study of Mark to bring me to him. And when my dad passed away uh, four years ago now, the last book his, his Sunday school class studied would have been the Gospel of Mark. And so uh, both of those carry sentimental value, but also they've been mile markers for me. And I look forward to seeing what God teaches me this time through the Gospel of Mark. Goodness. Thank you, Dwayne. Gia, always glad to have you. Yeah, thanks, Amber. Next week, we will discuss Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 45, and our guest host will be Mike Livingston. We hope you'll join us.